we've got a, a, a guest minister this morning, and uh, Pastor John and Michelle Grunwald, they are the international directors for RAMA that cover the whole of Europe, whole of Africa, the whole of the Middle East. It's about a third of the world, basically-ish. He's one of the three overseeing along the part of the task force, oversee all the Bible training centers of Rhema, working under Pastor Hagen and, uh, uh, you know, really leading that. There's over 40 um, uh, training centers around uh, the world under his care, and that's growing every day. So, you know, when we, when we receive someone, what do you receive? Do you receive a man or do you receive something from God? Do you receive an apostle as part of a greater ministry? This is part of our DNA. Part, rhema is part of our DNA. So God's got a strategic, significant word. No matter how simple or otherwise it is, God's going to speak to your hearts this morning. So let's honor Pastor John. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Alan and Claire, for having us here today. It's always a privilege to be with different churches around the world and to serve the Word. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to just serve the Word up uh, in the time we have. And uh, so what I'd like you to do is you open your Bibles up this morning to wherever you think we should turn. (laughs) And we'll see if you're as led by the Spirit as you thought you were. Or you could open up to James chapter 1. And and maybe we'll go from there. I have been a Christian 40 years this coming summer. I know what you're thinking. I don't look that old. Uh, That's what you were thinking, right? She says no. Thank you. Uh, And uh, before I was saved, I had friends that were telling me, you know, that I, I should receive Christ. That He should be my Savior and I didn't really understand what they were talking about, and then people came along, a couple of them did, and said that Jesus had changed their life and he would change mine. And I finally received him as my Savior in June of 1974, and I have to say that he did change my life, just like they said he would, but probably even in greater ways than I anticipated. And, you know, then it's a lifelong journey, then walking all that out and understanding what he did for us at the new birth. You think you, you think you know it, you go a little further, and you think, wow, I never saw that part before either. So we're always discovering all the great things that he has done for us. All right, so let's, um, let's look into the scriptures this morning. James chapter 1, starting in verse 2. And he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, complete, lacking nothing. When I was a young Christian reading that verse, I thought, are you crazy? Why would we be counted joy when we fall into different kinds of trials and temptation? That makes no sense to me. So, because I didn't understand the process. So he says here, and I like what it says in the message translation, something like this. He says, count it sheer joy, brothers, when, the, your, when your faith is put under pressure. Because then you basically you see what comes out or what you're made of. How many of you know it's good every now and then to find out what you're made of? And it doesn't always happen unless some kind of pressure comes on your life. Now the good news is we can have a, a, a more than equalizing pressure on the inside to take care of any worldly pressure that comes on the outside. 
So it says, knowing that the testing year of faith produces patience. How many of you want like patience? Famous prayer, God grant me patience right now. (laughs) But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect or well-rounded and mature. Well, there's a place we're heading, isn't it? We want to be well-rounded and mature in this life. So here's something. There's a lot of things in life you may be believing for. Trials aren't one of them, but they'll still come. That's unfortunate sometimes, isn't it? So even though we are to be patient when these trials come, he doesn't want us to live in them. Right? So we don't want to misinterpret what it says there, and that even though we're to count it joy, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to show who we really are, and we may not always like what we see, but we can change that. But he says, be patient, but we don't want to live in it. We want to also learn how to overcome and what that means for us. So um, sometimes I think people say, you know, I just wish the devil would leave me alone. Well, he won't. You know why? Because he's an opportunist. We know that from Scripture in 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. So he's looking for an opportunity in your life, in your life, in your life. Because why? Because he wants to devour you. That's the truth. So you know who your adversary is. You know what he's looking to do. He's not someone we play with. How do we deal with him? Verse 9 tells us, Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Well, that's good news then, because even though he is seeking whom he may devour, he said if we resist him steadfast in the faith, he will have to leave us. That doesn't mean he won't come back. But we can overcome whatever moment, test, trial, situation that we have. And then Luke chapter 4 and verse 13, this is the account of when Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness, and there he was tempted What happened when he was tempted? Well, we know that every time that the devil put a temptation to him, he said, it is written. That's how he overcame the temptation. And in verse 13, it says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Guess what, folks? He's coming back. You can't just pray once. You can't just resist him once. He's coming back. So it's the the lifestyle of faith that the Bible teaches us about that we must walk in every day so that no matter what comes our way, whatever test, whatever trial, as much as we might have to be patient while we are by faith walking through it, we we will not live in that trial. We will overcome because Jesus already gave us the victory. Aren't you glad about that? Thank you for your enthusiasm about the victory we have in Christ. It's okay to smile this morning. Sometimes people say, well, if God loved me, then why do I have all these tests and trials? Well, we just read that. God's love is without question. You may have a question, but his love is without question. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He gave his life. He went on the cross, paid the price for uh, man's sin so we could be redeemed, 
have a relationship back with God again, his love is without question. So, and in that unquestionable love, he gave us something that no one else could give us. And that was the opportunity to receive him as the Lord and Savior and have the new birth. And in the new birth, we got some so much that you cannot comprehend it or learn it all at one time. So like I said, it's a lifelong walk to, to discover all that he gave us at the new birth. So this morning, I just want to maybe put a little different view on something that belongs to you already, that maybe you don't look at it that way all the time, and how as we walk this life of faith, it should come out of us. It should manifest in our life. You know, the, the new birth is, is something that it should be a transformation in our life. When we ask Jesus to come into our heart to be our Lord and Savior, our spirit man changed immediately. But not everything else changed immediately. That's the walk. And as we walk out the life of faith, then that which is on the inside transforms which is on the outside, and even sometimes other people can see the changes. That would be good, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be nice if people would say, you're different, in a good way. Not, you're different. (laughs) You're different. What happened to you? Well, there's an opportunity, isn't it? Then you can tell them, well, I'd like to tell you what happened to me. And what happened to me can happen to you. But if, if that never shows up, if that never manifests on the outside, maybe they'll never ask and maybe they'll never even know. Well, that wouldn't be good, would it? How can we walk around in this earthen vessel with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Savior of the earth, of mankind on the inside of us, and nobody even know. Do you ever smile? I know you do, I can tell. (laughs) But sometimes, you know, if we never smile, why would people think, you know, we have a decent life? Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's the first place that light starts to shine, is through the smile that we have. You say, well, you don't know the situations in life that I have. You don't know my condition. No, I don't know your condition, but I know your position. And and the the Bible tells me you're seated at the right hand of God in heavenly places. And that's where he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Did you know that? Well, now you got something to smile about, don't you? Yeah. Now you got something to smile about. Has anybody perfected all of this yet? No, probably not. None of us have. Uh, but we can. Turn to Philemon. Everybody know where that one is? Philemon, Philemon, however you want to say it. We were talking yesterday, and I kept, I was saying to the students, Habakkuk, and they said Habakkuk. I don't care if you, what you call them. Habakkuk, Habakkuk, Philemon, Philemon. Let's just turn there. <laughs> Philemon, one. Starting in verse 4, he says, I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers. That's a good thing to do, isn't it? Do you ever thank God for people and mention them in your prayers? If you don't, you should. You could start with me if you can't think of anybody else. He says, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So what are we looking at here? Well, if we want the sharing of our faith to become more effective, we have to acknowledge what is in us. 
That's a key, isn't it? And that's why if we never discover all the good that's in us, how are we ever going to acknowledge it? That's why we study our Bibles. That's why we come to church. That's why we listen to the teaching. That's why we go to Bible school. Because it helps us to understand, see, and then acknowledge all the good things that are on the inside of us. And when we start that progression and continue to acknowledge what is in us, it starts to open up all sorts of things in our life. So let's, let's read a few more verses here. Turn over to, um, well, Romans chapter 8 real quick. This life, the life that we live in the flesh, was meant or designed to be lived by faith. We were born of the Spirit, and we must continue this life in the Spirit if it's going to be the way we should. Faith in God, faith in the Son of God, that's how He wants us to walk out this life. Now let me ask you a couple of questions. How did Jesus overcome when He was tempted by the devil? With the Word. It is written. How did He endure the beating and the scourging and going to the cross? How did He do that? Hmm. That took something extra, didn't it? How did he have the strength to make it all the way through until he had finished our redemption before he died? When he could have died and when he should have died, he didn't die because he wasn't done. That goes for you too. You're not supposed to die until you're done. But life's so hard. That's why we're here today. We're going to fix that. Or at least get a better understanding of it. How about Paul? How did he make it through all the, the tests and trials that he had? Beating, shipwreck, prison. He said he was in trouble from the, in the country, in the city. Everywhere he went, he was in trouble for preaching the gospel. And yet he continued. How did he do that? Hmm. I wonder if he acknowledged what was in him. Because his conditions weren't perfect, and after all that happened to him, which I have never, my life has never been like his. And he said, it's just a small thing. Really? Is that the way you look at it in your life? Sometimes we think we've got mountains, and really they're nothing. They're small things. How did he do that? How did he keep joy in the midst of all of those things that happened in his life? While he was obeying God doing his will, being persecuted for it every time he turned somewhere. How did he keep his joy? That's a good question. Well, just like Jesus, just like Paul, we're going to have to walk by faith. That's what they did. Acknowledging everything good thing that's in us. Romans 8.11 says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That's good news. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by that same Spirit living within you. Ooh. You know what? If I acknowledge the one who's living in me, the price that He paid, that by His stripes I was healed, He can heal me from the inside out. Come on. Hmm. I don't know about you, but for many, many years, when if there's something that's trying to come on this body that I live in, I just stop, and I acknowledge what's in me. And I think, you know, that spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it quickens my mortal body. And that life-giving spirit on the inside of me is touching and affecting every cell of my being. 
And it drives out any sickness or disease or injury or whatever because it's life. You need to do that, don't you? And you know what? It actually works. That's great, isn't it? So, okay, now let's turn over to Revelation chapter 22. That's an easy one to find because it's the last chapter in your Bible. If you've got more chapters, then we need to look at your Bible. <laughs> Revelation 22. You know, do you, I don't know how many of you ever remembered or heard of a guy named Demas Shikarian. He was the founder of Full Gospel Businessmen. And he wrote a book called, you know, The Happiest People on Earth. He's talking about you. I just wanted you to know that this morning. That you're supposed to be the happiest people on earth. Sometimes people say life isn't fair. You're right, it isn't fair. Because when you get born again, you've got the one who created the heavens and the earth living on the inside of you. And all the things that he won for you, all the things he did for you, so that you can walk in peace and joy and victory. You're the one that should be going around saying, oh, I agree with you, life isn't fair. Come to our side. (laughs) Because it is so unfair, the advantage we have in this life. Oh, that's not what you were talking about? Okay. (laughs) Anyhow, Revelation chapter 22, let's start in verse 1. He says, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their forehead. Some of us are just getting a little bit more room to write that. (laughs) And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. You know, Jesus is coming back soon. But before he comes back, there's still some things he wants us to do. There are billions of people that he wants to see born again. Because when Jesus comes back for the church, we meet Him in the air and we ascend with Him. Don't you want there to be as many people as possible? I I would love to leave this place empty. So He is coming back soon. But in the meantime, we still have to live this life. So He says back here in the first verse that uh, there is a river with the water of life. And where is it flowing from? From the throne of God and from the Lamb. I want you to keep that in mind. This is, that's, it's just important. And could he be talking about the very presence of God that flows from there? I think he might. Let's turn over to Exodus chapter 33. We're talking about acknowledging every good thing that's in us today. We do, we do not want to live without this presence. And we don't have to. We don't have to live without that presence, and we don't have to live without it manifesting. So we want the faith-filled and the Spirit-filled life. And here's what Moses said in Exodus chapter 33, verses 15 and 16. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? 
so we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Now this was under the old covenant. We live under a new and better covenant today. We are a part of the church, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He lives in us. We do not have to go anywhere without his presence. Now, when we come together, we we sometimes sense, feel, realize a corporate presence. But wherever you go, if you're born again, you are that portable lamp that goes around and, and carries the light wherever you go. So we don't have to go anywhere without his presence. Well, but I don't feel like it's with me. See, that's the problem. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. We acknowledge what is in us, not what we feel. Because if we go by what we feel, we won't be acknowledging the presence because you're not always going to feel him. You may rarely or seldomly feel him, but he's still there because he lives on the inside of you. Of all the places he could have lived, he chose to live in you. What an honor that is. What a miracle that is that he lives in us. Are we acknowledging that today? If we'll acknowledge it, it'll make a difference for us. And he says, even under, you know, Moses said about the, the people, the Israelites at that time, he said, we shall be separate. Your people and I from all the people who are on the face of the earth, we should be noticeably different than all the other people in the world. The church and the body should be his testimony here on the earth about his goodness, about what he can do for for humanity and mankind. We're a three-part being. We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. And so we are just building up this spirit man and acknowledging all that God gave us at the new birth and letting that manifest as we walk out this life. We are the light of the world today. Sometimes I'll, I'll ask students, you know, who's the light of the world? And sometimes people say, Jesus! <laughs> I go, wrong. He said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world, but now you are the light of the world. And we go, me? (laughs) You mean I'm the one who has to shine? That's right. But not without him. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. We're just going to look at a few more scriptures here. I just want to remind you or bring this to your attention today. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 10, it said, a river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. Sounds a little bit like what we read in Revelation, doesn't it? So this river, it flowed from the land of Eden, and then it separated into four different directions. Very interesting. Sometimes we see patterns in Scripture um, that will be very helpful if we recognize what they're telling us. Psalm chapter 1 and verse 3. You know this one. It says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season. That sounds familiar too. Whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. You know, when God was designing the earth, he, he, he patterned it after something, didn't he? And even different parts of the earth. Trees planted by living waters, what happens to them? They prosper. They grow. They bear fruit. That's us. We have been planted so close to that living water that there's no reason in the world that that we shouldn't prosper 
and, and bear fruit. If we abide in him and he abides in us, right? And then there's no way that we cannot bear fruit. What kind of fruit? All kinds of fruit. Any good thing. Getting people born again. Seeing people get healed. Prospering in every way. Because anything that, that touches that river of living water should prosper. All we're doing is acknowledging what's on the inside of us. I'd like, you know, true prosperity is the ability to meet any need. When we talk about prosperity, we're not just talking about money. That's just one small part of it. What area of your life do you need to prosper in? I like the story that Brother Hagen told. I heard him tell it many times years ago. And, you know, he would go and he would preach in churches sometimes three, six, nine weeks at a time. And he said after one of those meetings was done, that he and the pastor were going together to another meeting, and this pastor had diabetes. And Brother Hagen told him, he said, you won't have any of those symptoms while you're traveling with me. I think the guy was like, what? But he didn't. He said while he traveled with Brother Hagen, he had none of the symptoms, didn't need his insulin, and he didn't need it for some days afterwards. What was that? That was somebody who knew who God was on the inside, and it, it manifested itself even to those closest around him. I wonder if it should be that way for us. It should, it should affect people. It should touch people. A river brings a fresh supply, doesn't it? It's not stagnant. Hmm. All right. Let's turn over to John chapter 7. So we see a little bit of a pattern here. So there is this river, this river of life that flows from the throne of God. Well, what happens to it then? John chapter 7, verse 37 says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Oh, that's interesting. Where were the headwaters of that river? The throne of God and the Lamb. And he said that those very rivers, those rivers of life, would flow out of our heart, out of our belly. He said, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This river of life will change anything, and it can change everything. Sometimes we pray for revival. You know where revival starts? Right here. When we acknowledge every good thing that's in us. When we, when we realize that this very presence of God, this river of life that flows straight from the throne of God, flowed right into you and flow through you and out to the world. You know what happens when, when the tests and the trials of life come to us. They put pressure on us. They, we get consumed with them. And part of the purpose of that is to keep our attention inward. As long as our attention can stay inward, we will not be able to think of others and reach the world. And we get so wrapped up in our own life and our own problems that we forget there's a world out there that's on its way to hell. In greater Europe here, there are 730 million people or so. And best estimates are that only about 4% are born again. That means about 700 million people. 
between here and the mainland are on their way to hell unless they have a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ. Well, I wish God would do something about that. He's going, I wish they would do something about that. You know, there's this question. One of my sisters years ago called, and, and she said, and she was talking about something that happened, and she said, you know, I just, I just don't understand if God is a loving God, why does he allow so many bad things to happen? And I said, I can answer that question for you. I had that question for years too, and I, and I, I wanted to figure out the answer to that. You know, if God is a loving God, why does he allow so many bad things to happen? Well, like I said, his love is without question. I don't really think that's really the issue. And I, I kind of went around for years trying to figure that out until I realized the question was wrong. The question should be, if we are the church, if we're the loving church that has been given authority here on the earth, why do we allow so many bad things to happen? See, we always toss this over onto God like it's his fault, and he's got to do something that these 700 million people on this continent aren't born again. Sorry, he paid the price. The only ones that are going to answer for that is you and I. He finds it unacceptable that 700 million people in this area of the world are on their way to hell, and we should find it unacceptable too. But if we are all wrapped up in our own problems, our own tests, our own trials, then we're so inward-looking that we don't even realize they're going to hell. That's sobering, isn't it? So that's why he wants us to get to where, even though we have patience in whatever tests and trials come, we will not live there. We refuse to live there because there is a world out there that's lost and dying, and they need you. They need you looking out. One of the reasons that he gave us the Spirit of God was so that we could be those kind of witnesses that go out to the world. Not just go out, but people could see it on us. Who we were, that we belonged to God. We were a separate people. We were different in a good way. A lot of times people say, yeah, they're different but they're not complimenting us. <laughs> right? Here's the test if you're different in a good way. Does the world and children both like you? It can't just be one or the other. It has to be both. But Jesus was that way, wasn't he? Children liked him, and even the sinners liked him. They were attracted to him. Mm-hmm. The only people that didn't like him were the religious people. Yeah. So if you, if you can put yourself into that group, Hallelujah. I get concerned about people that, that I can tell the kids don't like. They go, something's wrong there. So this very river of life that flows from the throne of God, it is meant to reach the world out through you. That is the outlet. That's where it flows. But how is that ever going to happen if we don't acknowledge that he's in us like that? that and that we are the, we are the outlet we're one of those channels, like it said in, in, in Eden, where it flowed and then went four different directions. We can get it to go more than four different directions now. Because wherever you and I go, it can flow. And we should be that opportunity everywhere we go, looking to see how we can manifest his presence on the world around us. Somehow, some way, that's got to happen. I like this. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Second Corinthians chapter two. 
This is one of those verses that every Christian should know because it's, it's one of these foundational verses and it's just good for a lot of things. You know, every believer should know that God loves me. God is good. He has a good plan for my life. And if we don't, if we don't even have that, then we need to back up and read the scriptures, study the scriptures until that becomes part of our solid foundation. And then we go on, and then there's verses like this that are just always good. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, But thank God he has made us his captive and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. And now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Ah, that's a nice picture, isn't it? Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. But I like this verse. It says, now, different translations say it a little different. But thanks or now thanks be unto God who always leads me to triumph in Christ. There is something about thankfulness coming out of the heart that gets the whole presence of God flowing. He says, now thanks be to God which leads me to triumph in Christ. You want to walk in the victory that was purchased for you? Have a thankful heart and a thankful tongue. That'd be a good start for a lot of people, wouldn't it? Thankfulness. Because it connects the heart and the mouth together, and then other great things can start to flow from it. And he said when we do this, he says we become part of the victory parade that is in Christ. And everywhere we go, we are spreading this victory, this knowledge of victory, this like a sweet perfume. And I like to say it this way. When a, when a Christian walks in the room, people should go... You smell that? Man, that smells like victory. That smells like peace. It smells like healing. It should be that way. And that's the picture we get there. That it's just, it's the aroma, like the old Peanuts cartoon with Snoopy and then Pigpen. And everywhere Pigpen went, there was this little cloud of dirt around him. And in the cartoon, you could see it. Well, it should be that way for us in the spirit. And people may not see it, but they sense it because that very river of life that flows from the throne of God is, is coming to you and through you to reach out to the world. And we see all different places in Scripture that give us good examples of that. And I, I'm not, we won't look at all this, but let me just mention this. You know, because this... This river is supposed to be powerful and refreshing and at times restful and calm. Whatever the situation calls for, that river can produce. Because wherever it goes, things prosper around it. Have you ever been in the desert? And then you went down into a riverbed? And that's where everything is alive. It's like its own ecosystem, right? There's trees, there's grass, there's birds, there's bugs. And you get up a little bit higher and you get onto the desert again, there's nothing but sand. And that's what it should be where we are. I mean, we should produce life wherever we go. You know the story of, of uh, Jacob and Laban. And when Jacob ended up going and he wanted to marry Laban's daughter, Rachel, and Laban tricked him all the time. You know, and he even says that he changed his wages ten times. But there came a time when, when Laban said, 
and I think I put this in here, in Genesis 30, verse 27. And this is after a lot has happened, years and years of being tricked. And, and Laban said to him, please stay. I have found, if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. That's what happened to Brother Hagin in that pastor. He was just around him. And he blessed him. How about, how about um, when Joseph was in Potiphar's house? I mean, they tried everything to get rid of him, putting him in prison and everything, but, but he kept rising to the top, and, and the whole kingdom prospered because he was in that place. It should be that way with us. Well, yeah, but you don't know me. I don't know you, but I know him. And if you will acknowledge him in you, that will change you. And then, then the you that goes everywhere won't just be you. It'll be you and him together. And that's one of the great truths, right, is who we are in him or in Christ. And if we would acknowledge that, what could happen around us? Could it, t- could it affect our life? Have you had a chronic problem in your body? Well, if you have, the answer is right inside of you today. Yes. Because that river that flows from the throne of God lives and dwells in you. And it can touch your body. But if we don't ever acknowledge it, if we keep acknowledging the situation in our body to a greater degree than he who lives in us, guess which one manifests more? Yeah. So if we will acknowledge him, he will change the situation. What about in our job? What about in our family? Whatever whatever you need to change in life, he who is within you can cause that to change. As you walk by faith, right? What is faith? I like to say this just as a simple definition. It's what you believe in your heart and say with your mouth. That's kind of like Mark 11, 23, isn't it? Yeah. So what do you believe? What are you acknowledging about what he's done for you? If we'll do that, we'll see great change come, and we won't have to live in the tests and the trials. We'll we'll learn something from them. We'll learn where we are. We assess it. We acknowledge it. We grow from it, and we move on. And he'll come again because he's always looking for a spot, and when he comes, you'll be ready because you've built yourself up. Your shield of faith Your network of belief is strong and it's sure. And so when he comes, you'll be able to respond to the test or the trial just like Jesus did and say, it is written. When he speaks to you and say, you're not going to make it this time, then you go, for me to fail would be impossible because the greater one lives in me. You know, we can live a supernatural life. It's our choice, isn't it? All that we need has been done. We just need to acknowledge it. You know, let's go ahead and stand up this morning. Might even finish a minute or two early. So I just wanted to remind you of this this morning. So as you go this week, I want you to think about some of the verses we read. Maybe when you get home, just like I know you do this every week, you get home and you look through your notes from church. Right? Everybody there going, yes, amen, that's right. 
and look through these verses and say, you know, what does this mean for me in my life? How could I apply this to my life and see something that I need changed? Do I need better health? Do I need more money? Do I need this or do I need that? What is it that you, the Spirit of God and the Word, could change? I'm so glad he lives in me today. I told you that people told me that Jesus had changed their life and he changed mine. And when I received him, he has done just that. I want to ask you this morning, if, if there's even one person here and you say, you know, I've never asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. There's, there, we can pray with you. It doesn't take long. It's not a long prayer. But we just acknowledge him that he paid the price so that we could be saved that our destination would no longer be hell, but it would be heaven. And not only that, but he would change this life here on the earth. When I got saved, it wasn't enough for me to say that I was going to go to heaven. I wanted to know that he was a big enough God that he could change this life too. And he was, and he is. And what he did for me, he'll do for you. So I want to ask this morning, is there anybody here And you say, yeah, I would like to pray the prayer today and I would like to become a believer in Christ. And uh, if that's you this morning, I want you to take a real brave step and just wave at me real quick, if that's you. I see one hand back there. Thank you very much. I'm going to have you come up as soon as we end the service. There's a prayer team over here on this side and they'll be ready to pray with you. I also want to ask, you know, if, if you're born again, but you've never been filled with the Spirit like the Bible teaches, and he says that we can be filled with the Spirit with the evidence of speaking another tongue. Why would we do that? Because it helps to let the river flow. It helps to let the life that's in you out. It helps to build a place where you can live. It does all sorts of things. I wouldn't want to live if without it. So if you're not filled with the Spirit, we're going to invite you to come forward at the end of the service too where people can pray with you and it's a life-changing experience. You'll be blessed that you did it. So we can live by faith, we can walk by faith in this spirit-filled life. So let's just pray this morning as I finish and I'll turn it back over to Pastor. Um, But let's just pray and thank him this morning for all that he's done for us. Thank him for his word his spirit. So let's do that. Father, we thank you today. Thank you for the opportunity that we had to come together right here. I thank you for each and every person that you're speaking to that heart in that very personal way that only you can do by the spirit of God. So no matter what is going on in each of our lives, you can speak to us directly. Give us wisdom, give us instructions. You said that even when we run into these trials and tests in life, that as we let patience have its perfect work, that we, if we need wisdom, we could ask for it from you, and you would give it to us, and you wouldn't hold it back. And so I ask you for wisdom today, Father, for everything that we need in life, the steps that we take, and for these people here, Father, I ask too. And as they ask you for wisdom, I know that you'll answer them, because Jesus Christ has been made unto us wisdom. And he who lives on the inside is the wisest of all. So, Father, I thank you for that today. And that for those that want to receive Jesus, they'll get exactly what they are coming for. And to be filled with the Spirit, they won't leave without being filled with the evidence. 
and whatever anybody else needs today. Father, for anybody in this congregation today who needs healing in their body, we acknowledge you as the healer. That by your stripes we were healed. We acknowledge that today and say that you are working in our body. And that even though we live in a fallen world, that that which was done by Christ Jesus far outweighs any damage done by Adam. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us and that Jesus is our all in all. And we do. We acknowledge that he is the one living in us today. So whatever we need, we can have. And Father, we thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. God bless you.